Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Practitioner Radio, Episode 17, Pink Elephants Podcast for the ITSM Practitioner Community, or as we like to call it, the fastest 30 minutes in ITSM audio. Troy Dumoulay from, gosh, Troy, you seem like you're thousands of miles away. Well, you know, I'm up in the Great White North and it's getting colder every day, Chris. Yes, uh, I happen to be with you today uh, from London. I was just at an ITSMF conference here, ITSMF UK. Uh, had a session afterwards. I, this gentleman came up to me. I was expecting him to tell me how brilliant I was. And his only comment was, when is the next version of Practitioner Radio? So, Troy, you, you don't leave me alone no matter where I go. I like the tag team approach here. And greetings from across the pond. Thank you. Uh, a big, big, big uh, Troy fan base over here. You know, at this conference, they, they have these gala dinners in the UK. And there's always dancing and singing. And it got me kind of thinking about some stuff I've heard you talk about when it comes to culture and instant management, problems management and change and, and, and the dance of those three things. Yeah. In fact, uh, we've kind of coined a phrase, the incident problem and change dance. And uh, in fact, uh, George and I talk about it sometimes and he'll even do the can-can routine if you ask him. And that's kind of scary, <laughs> but kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> but it, it's a reality. Uh, you know, it's, it's strange. We've, you know, we've been on this ITIL journey for over 20 years, right? Mm. But many organizations haven't uh, moved past change management. And that's the concept it, Incident, problem, change, stop. Incident, problem, change, stop. Mm. And, and they, they get stuck. They get stuck in a rut right there. They don't move on. No, completely. And, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, when, I, when I go to sessions and hear people talk about things other than that, like, like financial management, and I go back to all of our practitioner radio episodes, and again, you know, there's so much that you know, people talk about after, but there almost seems to be a chasm between incident, change, a problem, and then everything else. It's like this void. And there's this kind of transition process, request fulfillment, where they start getting into service orientation, but that you know is usually from a user request basis only. Even though they're talking service catalog, often they're they're really just trying to solve request fulfillment, not a not portfolio, not kind of any kind of demand management or you know more strategic stuff. Mm. It's interesting. It's in you have to ask yourself why is that the case, and I. I like to talk about roadmap. In fact, um, coming up in 2012, Pink 12, I'm going to speak on roadmap in one of the focus groups. And I talk about roadmap in two contexts. One is, you know, the traditional, you know, I have to do this process before this process because there's a dependency and this one needs to be at a certain level of maturity, blah, 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 blah. And that's all true. But even more relevant to me is the cultural readiness. Uh, and I have a whole podcast on this, but you have to get to a certain paradigm shift to use a you know, a buzzword right. before you even are interested in good parts of vital. Uh, Troy, I hear a lot of people in the industry or, or, or in our biz drop the C word, the, the cultural word. In all of your years and all of your studying, what, I mean, I hate to just kind of put you on the spot, but what kind of defines culture in an organization to you? What really makes up culture? Well, culture, and Rob England was tweeting on this just a, a few days ago. Culture is simply the frame of reference, the structure by which we make decisions, which influences our thinking process, the the way we approach questions and decisions. It all filters through this sieve, if you will, of culture, mm. which is part leadership, tone at the top, part 
human nature, you know, survive, mm-hmm. <laughs> part um, the department or group you're in, and part your own personality. So it's kind of this mishmash of all of these different key drivers. But it will be very, very well dictated by the organizational the context, the, the environment you're in. In fact, uh, you know, they've done studies on twins where they've put them two different families and seen them grow up totally different. Interesting. I, I kind of liked your approach of the, the three different parts of it. Because so many people act like culture is just something you go in and flip a switch on. No. And, and I, when I hear people talking like that, you know, you need to change your culture. Like, it's that simple. I always kind of go, hmm, I put on my bracelet and go, what would Troy say? Well, and culture can actually be organizational, departmental, and individual. So you don't have one culture that fits all levels or a single, you know, stamp that you can say, our culture is like this. You can find different cultures within an ecosystem. Yeah, and microcultures. And yeah, I guess we could do a whole thing on uh, psychology and culture. We should do a podcast on culture. But what, what are some of the cultural implications of actually jumping over that chasm beyond change? Well, the biggest one is the technology to service management focus. Mm. And we've talked about this in the past. Technology management, in summary, is simply an organization that is focused on assets, focused on optimizing those assets and focused on making it faster and cheaper every year. A service-oriented culture is one that lifts its eyes above the actual means by which we achieve things to what we're trying to achieve, the outcomes, and managing the services and wanting to manage as a systemic whole. And this is actually outside of ITIL, outside of all of this concept, there's a, there's a philosophy called systemic thinking. Systemic thinking says you are managing and care about the larger context as a complete system, not simply the component. That sounds like altruism. Altruism? Like ouch? Yeah, altruism. Some people altruism. Pronounce, yeah, <laughs> uh, where they pronounce uh, where they, you care about the actual process as a whole. So there, there are things in ITIL that assume an organization is managing outcomes and cares to manage outcomes. So consider what a configuration management database is supposed to be, or a CMS now in, in today's terms. It's this concept of systems orientation, managing the entire system from uh, all domains, all the assets in relationship to each other and how they impact and are used and consumed by the business, right? The systems thinking. But what if an organization doesn't know what a system, let alone a service, which is you know the combination of what systems produce? Yeah, we ran into that last year at Pink 11. We had a, a panel and we asked people in the audience you know, how they defined systems and services and it was it was eye-opening because <laughs> yeah, when you don't think systems there is no business case for a cmdb because the whole premise of a cmdb is that you want to model services and understand impact business impact analysis right right uh, component failure impact analysis whatever you want to use but the reality is if you're just optimizing technology by domain you don't need a cmdb because you're not even trying to manage the relationships at a, a service level so there is no business case for CMDB or service catalog or SLAs for actual things that, you know, outcomes versus technologies until you actually get to this point of, I actually care and want to manage against this stuff. You talked about looking above the, the technology. And I was just wondering, because my, my mind just wandered when you said that, does it make it easier to look above the technology when you're dealing with organizations that are starting to explore bring your own device? Because... You have to look above the technology. It's not yours. Well, I guess that's one way to look at it because you're managing mobile messaging or mobile communications at that point. Right. And the assets are actually not in your hands. But that's always been true in our mixed supplier model, right? Mm-hmm. There's oftentimes when we outsource complete aspects of our system to third party, but we still tend to uh, manage the assets versus the outcomes. Yeah. So until this organization actually wants to manage outcomes, 
a large part of ITIL is beyond their cultural grasp. There's no reason to go there. So until an organization wants to manage outcomes, a large part of ITIL is beyond their grasp. Right. So portfolio management, for example, won't be service portfolio management. It'll be project portfolio management, which is a much smaller and child process of service portfolio that simply looks at annual funding of capital initiatives, not what do I do today, what do I need to do tomorrow, and how do I retire things that are legacy. You know, it's, it's a much more refined asset-based view. Is it at that level of maturity or that you could actually start talking about value? I saw a presentation on an actual how you can define value literally to a business. And, and the person presenting it, it was Stephen Mann, made it seem like, you know, you need to do these things to define value, but it's not just about money, you know, that there are some of this kind of touchy-feely stuff was in it too. Well, value is what do I do for you, mm. right? What have I done for you lately? Mm. And are you paying me to husband and garden the, you know, the assets? Or are you paying me to deliver something that I actually need to accomplish? Have you accomplished for me? Mm. Right. So the, even the question of value, I can actually say I'm, I'm producing value in technology, but I'm really just husbanding the, you know, the the assets and, and making sure that I've, I'm watering them and keeping them fresh and, and keeping them, you know, viable right. versus value at a service level is I'm actually understanding your needs and adjusting the the means by which I'm delivering over time. That's interesting because when he spoke about it, I didn't think about my perception of the value that I'm providing for my customer versus I only viewed it from the customer's perception of the value I bring to the equation of the services, not really what I thought they should perceive. What do you mean by that, Chris? Explain a bit. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah, I guess I just kind of outed myself for being shallow. Well, when he spoke of value, when you think of, when I think of IT service value, I literally only think of from a consumer standpoint. So I'm getting services from the help desk. Do I see value in that? But both Stephen and, and you made the point of talking about the value equation of delivering those services from the point of view of the business uh, or of the service provider. And I guess maybe because even though I've been on a help desk, I never really considered myself a service provider. Well, actually, you, you're not far off. I'm trying. I'm really struggling here. You know how this no. practitioner radio is. No, the question is, who's my customer? And the answer is, there are several customers. Mm. There is a user customer, and they have a different view of value and services, right? There is an IT customer when shared infrastructure group provide services to an applications development group. They have another perception of value and what connotates value from what they need. When the business is talking, they're talking about, you know, supporting automating business processes and that's the value concept. When the external market is involved, now I'm actually packaging and bundling services which are part business outcome and part IT outcome and they have another definition of value. So the question of value really changes on who are you referring to as customer because all those customers are all true all the time and when you're defining services thinking catalog, the way you present and represent value will change. So there's almost a, a value lens or a value prism that you have to carry with you when you're having that conversation. And the first thing you got to do, exactly right, is say, okay, we're talking services, check, I got that. Which customer group <laughs> are we talking? Because yeah. uh, depending on which one we're talking about, there's different services involved. If you could see me, you'd see me nodding my head going, yeah, this makes sense now. I'm going to speak to an organization on Service Catalog next week, and they have managed print services. I'm actually going to point them to their external website where managed print services is already a defined business process outcome for that organization. So they actually have their outside website as a service catalog because we're just talking tiers of catalogs now mm -hmm. for each customer group. And I'm going to actually point them to their own stuff 
you already represent the value of print managed print services outside. Now, how would you do that inside for a business user customer? That's the thing. It seems so easy when you're talking about when, when your value lens or prism is focused on the outside. I don't know why I have this. Maybe I have a cultural hurdle to get, get over because I have trouble focusing it inward. Well, it's, it's, it's based on our context and where we're the filter by which we make decisions and think about things, right? Your your background and context is that support organization, and that's why you, oh. know, you, you think users when you think services. That's your primary go to point for that. You're right. Gosh, I feel like I'm on the. This should be called on the couch with Troy. <laughs> Because uh, it's like uh, I, I, you need to be like that Lucy from Charlie Brown when she has that little advice for two cents or whatever it was. Yeah, well, so, but you know what? We still have to get the day to day business done. And, and that's why many organizations will, you know, still focus on incident problem and change, even though all this service stuff is true. They have to get basic block and tackling in place. ITIL is three plus versions old now, uh, 20 plus years, but me- most organizations adopting it are still within the first third of the processes ever even talked about. You know, 20 years ago. Right. So they're in the first page of the first book of a series of novels. And it's nothing to do with the organization's size or, or complexity. It's simply the cultural framework of what they believe their job is. Managing and optimizing technology slash assets or managing against outcomes. And it's only when you move to that outcome mindset paradigm shift that the rest of Vital even makes sense for you, actually, to do. Hmm. That, that's kind of a mind-bending thought right there. That oh, well. So moving from a technology management focus to a service management focus, if we can drill into that just, just for a little bit, I, I understand that concept. I, I've spent enough time with you that I get the two. But that seems like a, a gigantic leap. And I think what I'm hearing you say is it is, it is a journey. And, and you know maybe the technology management is, is where most people start. Do some people start? right in service management because because of the type of business they have? Well, yes and no. Yeah. There are parts of the organization that already think service orientation. Right. The architects, for example, hopefully are thinking service architecture, not just technology like architecture. Like Martin. Yeah. And they're modeling, and if you've ever gone into these smart people's cubicles, they, you'll see on their cube space, their wall, this complex UML Visio diagram where they model a business process down to the application layer, the infrastructure layer, the data layer. It's all these boxes with lines connecting because they've modeled the full system, right? They had to because you can't design a complete solution in isolated components. You got to think the big picture. So they're thinking service and, you know, they have their own reference books like the MIT Sloan's book, Enterprise Architecture Strategy. Wonderful read, recommend it. We'll put it in the show notes. So they're thinking that way. We had the business relationship management role we've been talking a lot about recently. They're thinking outcomes and what can I do for you today, value statements. But then there's parts of the organization, large parts of the organization, which are technically focused. And they are thinking, I have to husband and, and manage and, and optimize my asset pool. Mm. So you've got two groups that don't necessarily talk to each other well because they speak a different language. So in the organization, you have people at different points. Most organizations adopt ITIL, though, through the infrastructure group first, <laughs> because that's the first organization to become a cohesive whole. The shared services structure is what begins first. Application groups typically stand on their own in large clumps like web services and financial management, ERP. But this shared services group kind of gets this cohesive mentality strategy first. Then they think, well, we've got these services like hosting, messaging, uh, telephony, desktop support. And then they think, well, we have to have these processes to support these services because capabilities need to be in place to do this consistently. So they get this concept first. 
there are parts of the organization, the infrastructure group, the architect group, the application group, they all think differently about the goal. Yeah, well, I mean, while you were describing the different groups, my mind started thinking about what that would look like in, in some type of tribal setting where, where a shaman, you know, maybe an architect, you know, equals shaman, looks at the greater picture, uh, the good of the people, where the people who actually, you know, uh, do, do the work of, you know, uh, the shaman are actually worried about the, the day-to-day helping of the people. Are they healthy? Are they are they doing the right thing? Dude, this is great. This is really good. Keep going, because I, I have an analogy for you. This is exactly like this. Oh, no, go with it. Go with it, because that's when you were explaining it. I was like in this Latin American village with shaman and everybody, except in a technical version. Okay, let's talk tribal culture versus nationalistic or, or monarchy-based culture. Oh my gosh, you're going to drive me crazy. I think this is the best. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so tribal cultures represent uh, very small, close family groups where the good of the tribe is 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 the best and highest priority that you need to think about, right? Mm. The family sticks together, blood is thicker than water, et cetera, et cetera. And in a tribal culture, when faced with a decision whether I should prioritize tribal priorities over national priorities, mm. I will always fall back to tribal mm. because that's the first and family is first. Okay, And it is. I'm not saying family is not. But in certain national cultures where tribalism is very, very strong, it's very difficult to get national priorities consistently executed and, and, and prioritized ahead of tribal. Interesting. And so what happens is tribal often happens tribal warfare. We replace one tribe leading the country with another. And you have, well, very slow evolution, if any at all. Sometimes de-evolution, right? Right. But in cultures where tribalism has largely been left behind, largely initially monarchy-type cultures, empire-type cultures, cultures, which were initially tribal, by the way, but they evolved over time based on sword and other means, behavioral change, (laughs) the national pride and priority overwhelms and overrides tribal. So when you have an enterprise IT strategy, which is seen and deemed as more important and valuable than the tribal for the better of the good, right? Good of all. Right. Then you'll get a, a higher degree of agreement that we should have common process. We should have a given process instead of five processes. Until then, it's tribal prioritization over national prioritization. And it's only when an organization gets into this sense of nationalism, enterpriseism, that there even is a desire to have a common or even a recognition of the need for one. Mm. Pax Romana, right? Yeah. Pax Romana, they built roads, they created an environment that actually lasted for thousands of years until we had a tribal invasion, in this case from Mongolia, and it, it destroyed that. So basically, in a nutshell, cultural change in Ito can be explained by Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, Spock says, looks at, at, at Kirk and says, Jim. the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. In certain cultures, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to tie some sci-fi in there. I gotta ask you a question before we get uh, too far down the line because our, our forty-five minutes always go, our thirty minutes always go so fast. You've been tweeting lately, uh, and maybe this is a whole show about uh, TOC theory of constraints. Yes, I love theory of constraints. Okay, I- I'm clueless, so can we put that on the agenda? Yeah, um, absolutely. Because <laughs> I really I, I don't know what what you guys are talking about. You and Charles Betts, Charles Betts also taught, and I have no idea what you're talking about. And I could Google it and look it up on Wikipedia, but I, I'd rather just I'd rather just learn a little bit about it from you. Let me give you the real quick, and then we'll have a whole show on this because it does warrant a whole show. Okay. All right. 
everything in life, Chris, is the product of a process, mm. right? There's raw input, there is activities to achieve some end, and then there's something hopefully on the outside of that activity that gets you something desired results, right? Mm. Whether I'm buying a car, washing my dishes, uh, cleaning the house, it starts and ends <laughs> with a process. Now, the reality is no process for delivering value can go any faster than the bottleneck, right? There's something in that line of activities that will actually say, you can't go faster until you've actually passed through this bottleneck. If I'm going to work, I will not get to work any faster than the constraint bottleneck that I'm facing. If there's an accident or there's a place where the road kind of converges, which it does here in Toronto, I know I'm going to spend 20 minutes minimum in that bottleneck zone. So the idea is if you're if you actually understand the whole system, back to that systemic thinking concept, mm -hmm. and then you picture the system end to end and you look for bottlenecks where all the stuff is piling up in front of something, the moment you attack that bottleneck from a continual improvement perspective, either give it an alternate route or more capacity, what's going to happen to the speed through that bottleneck? It's going to go faster, right? Right. I've suddenly have a, an alternative route or I've uh, I've I built another lane. So the speed throughput to value it improves because I'm actually now eliminating or optimizing a bottleneck. What happens next is a new bottleneck appears. That's just the nature of system. But you can actually make improvements on a non-bottleneck activity and see very little to no value in the larger system speed to value concept because localized improvements do not necessarily equate to improved speed to value. This is a whole show. Yeah, I mean, theory of constraints is simply a focusing mindset of if I'm going to fix something and I only have so many uh, resources to do it with, I should probably find the bottleneck first. Focus on that. So if you're in sales, you'd call this the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, or the you know the thing from a Pareto analysis that if I can if I can just tweak this thing, I get an 80% improvement. You know, so well, it got me thinking when you were explaining it. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the service architect earlier. As a service architect is designing, you know, the holistic uh, or the you know looking at the whole picture, if they're trying to keep in mind places where TOC might come into um, play, or you know, do they get pulled into a conversation when they're doing CSI? To say, okay, this was the this was the process, and these are the uh, bottlenecks or constraints we see. So yeah, we definitely we need to to tackle that one as a uh, a complete and utter show in itself. We didn't get we, we talked a lot about the the cultural implications and and the tribal knowledge of moving beyond these things uh, from a technology to a service management point of view. Are there any quick tips we can do or any ideas around automating some of this? Well, that's a whole show as well. <laughs> okay. Well, first, it was quick tips on service orientation, right? Think of it in the context of a puzzle box, mm. right? The system of the puzzle is all the pieces together, and they fit in a special place, and they only fit in one place. That's the concept of a puzzle. Mm. Uh, but how do I put the system together and even understand it as a system unless I see the big picture, right? The picture on the puzzle box. Most people have to be reminded that the five puzzle pieces they have are part of a larger system, and that system has to be managed as such, and they have to remember their place in it, and they have to understand their value proposition in the flow. So you're really what we're introducing to people is you've always been part of a system, but you've been focused on your three pieces. Now you need to understand the bigger part, and there's a value behind that because until we do, we can't understand bottlenecks. We can't understand flow. We can't understand 
how things move through this value system. So part, part of the three pieces of culture that we loosely defined earlier, one of them was, was almost at, at a very basic human level. I, I struggled to find how we could help Puzzle Piece A understand and respect the rest unless Puzzle Piece A was ready. Well, that's the thing. Are they ready? Are they even willing to understand that I have a job outside of putting this brake pedal on this car line as it goes by? Yeah, because will, w- willing and ready, I've found in my life, are two very far apart <laughs> I've been ready to do a lot, but I'm willing to do much of it. That's right. And that will come from culture and tone at the top. I I find a lot of our executive leaders are super techies. Mm, Good point. They've come up through the bottom up and their primary focus has always been asset optimization. Uh, And when they get to the senior leadership team, they still think that's what they're doing. Uh, They're managing domains and they're keeping domains from killing each other as opposed to managing the system of value. So so they're, they're people who grew up in the tribe, who understand warring tribes, and who basically, okay, we could go there, couldn't we? Yeah, or, and, and believe now that their job is simply to, to improve tribe harmonization, but let each tribe get, you know, do its business the best it can. Not look at the, the need of uh, the whole, th- that's, it's, that's good stuff, that's good stuff. You know, sometimes, Chris, I, I feel like my whole job is putting a picture of a car in front of somebody and talking to the wheel mechanic and say, okay, Mr. Wheel Mechanic, here, meet Mr. Axle Guy. And Mr. Axle Guy, meet you know, the frame uh, group. And by the way, here's the driver. Uh, first time you probably talked. <laughs> uh, this is something you need to talk to this driver. And um, we're in the business of uh, transportation. Yeah, that's what I feel my whole job is the rest of the last fifteen years. Well, it's it's almost sounds like an auto dealership where you're if you're in back getting service in your car, those people never go out to the showroom and talk about or and understand the value that the salespeople are selling. <laughs> they just know what it breaks. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, we went. All right, let's stop. We're going to start bending matrix minds here. It's just crazy. Uh, Troy. Troy, Troy, Troy. Yes, Chris. It is time for Troy's Thunderbolts Hip of the Day! Okay, remember, certain aspects of IT service management require an IT organization to shift from a technology management slash asset focus to one looking at service management and outcomes. Until that occurs, only certain processes will be in reach for your cultural adoption. Perfect. Troy, I think we're on to theory of constraints in two weeks. All right, and we throw a little lean in there, too, and maybe Six Sigma. Oh, no, no, no stop, stop. You're getting me too excited. Now I want to time travel just to get to that show. All right, uh, I will see you, see you in two weeks. Right, thanks so much again for another great episode 17. Cheers and safe flight back. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. <laughs>